Father, thank you again for this chance to be back together. We've been away for a while, and uh, we're looking forward to what you want to do again tonight as we pick, pick up in our study in chapter 21, and we take a look at this new heaven and this new earth. Yet at the same time, Lord, we also understand that all you can give us is just a glimpse, because there are probably not even words in our vocabulary, no matter what language we have, uh, to describe the beauty and the amazingness of what it is that you have prepared for us. And your word even tells us that as we're going to see tonight. So Lord, as we, uh, as we do this study, we thank you that you're going to do the leading, that you're going to guide and direct. And Father, we, uh, we look forward to what you want to show us. We look forward to how you're going to encourage us and challenge us at the same time. In your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to get started. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He then he said, write this down, for these, are the, these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of water, of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. What John sees next is the new earth and the new heaven. Now I want you to understand, he clearly makes clear to us, this is not a repaired earth. Not a uh, slightly used or refurbished earth. This is all new. How can we know this from what we just read? How can we know this is a totally different planet? Okay, it says new. Right. For the old one had passed away. You see it? It's gone. The old one's gone. This is Now, during the Millennial Kingdom, the earth is going to be reformed and go back to its Edenic form, if you will. And the way things were in the Garden of Eden before the curse. But at this point, it is a totally new planet. And when it talks about new heaven, don't think that where God is is being reformed. Remember, the Jews had a mindset that there was three heavens. There was, of course, the earth. Above the earth was the, what they called the first heaven where the birds fly. They knew beyond that were the stars and the moon and the, all the sun. Uh, that's the second heaven. The third heaven is where God was. And that's why Paul said he knew a man taken to the third heaven, uh, sometimes called paradise. So when it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, he's not saying that God's remaking where he dwells. He's saying that the universe as we know it and see it is different now. The sun and the moon and the stars, actually as you're going to see a little bit later on tonight, there's no need for the sun or the moon and those types of things. So the planet itself is going to be different. And one of the major things that we see is there's not going to be any sea. Now, it doesn't mean there won't be any water on, on, on this. Uh, go to Revelation 22, and I'll show you what I mean by that. Revelation 22, look at verses 1 and 2. 
says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the uh, tree are for the healing of the nations. So here we know there will be water on this new earth. But there's no oceans, at least, from what it looks like from John's description. Uh, There's lots of speculation. One could be one of the major reasons for our oceans is it helps us with the whole water cycle. If you know, it's part of how we get rain and all that kind of stuff in our temperature and our atmosphere. At the same time, some of you have heard me share this before. um, Man would have killed each other a long time ago if there weren't oceans. Let me just be honest. The thing that has kept us from killing each other has been this big expanse of water between us. Nowadays, that's getting smaller and smaller because of nuclear weapons and intercontinental ballistic missiles. You read the news, they're called ICBMs and stuff like that. Uh, That's part of the reason why God had all that going on. But in this time period, there won't need to be one. What I want to do real quick, though, is I want you to put a bookmark here and go with me to uh, to Isaiah 65. And I want to have you... Try and tell me whether or not this passage is talking about the millennium or about heaven or the new new earth and the new the new heavens that we're reading about in, in um, Revelation 21. Again, as you know, my purpose is to try to teach you how to study the Word of God and wrestle with it for yourself, not just tell you what I think it says. So I want you to tell me this passage here in Isaiah 65. Look at it, starting in verse 17. Your, some of your Bibles will say, "New heavens and a new earth." I want you to just read with me um, down to verse 20, all right? And you tell me whether or not you think this is talking about what we just read about in Revelation 21, because it looks very close. It says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will not be heard in it, will will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. So what is it? Are we talking millennial kingdom or are we talking new heaven, new earth? Those of you who said millennial, you are correct. How can you tell me that you're correct? Because it looks almost word for word to what I just read to you in Revelation 21, didn't it? Uh, new heaven, new earth. The old things are, are different, you know, and all. There won't be any crying. There's death. Did you see that there in verse, verse 20? And also infants being born. Right, and then in the, in the new heaven and new earth, there's not going to be infants being born. There's no more... Well, it appears from what Jesus taught with the, what he talked about men and women in marriage, it appears there won't be any making new babies uh, in heaven. It appears that way. But you see, that's why you need to really look in context. Because actually, I've been doing a lot of study on the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. And if you ever go online, you can Google all sorts of stuff. And you, by the way, if you want to get really scared, go ahead and do it. All right, because you'll find a lot of wacko cults out there that are very excited about this new heaven and new earth stuff that the Bible talks about, and they take and twist sort of things, and 
like I say, I, I'm not even, because we're being recorded, I'm not even going to tell you some of the stuff I read about, which were pretty perverse, that these people are teaching is going to happen in heaven. And some of the pictures they had there of what heaven was going to be like. And you ladies wouldn't like it because you weren't clothed very much. But uh, um, I also, though, in my study found some people thought, saying that this passage was talking about the new heaven and the new earth. But it's not. Because as much as it parallels what we read here in Revelation 21, it's clear from context it can't be the new heaven because people are dying. This is the millennial kingdom. He's going to remake the earth, as you know. And Jerusalem's going to be remade and going to be lifted up. Remember, as we've been studying during the millennium, it's going to be lifted up high above everything else. And it's going to be a picture of what's to come for eternity. But in the millennium, there will be death. What's that? Yeah, he uses that passage. Well, he, he refers it back to uh, Revelation 21, but he says looking beyond yeah. the millennium. Well, so, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to take and break it up in a way that I'm not sure you can. You know, so the, there are those that could say that the first few verses of Isaiah 65, verses 17 and following, are talking about beyond, but then it jumps back to the millennium. That's kind of a hard jump to make, though, kind of a thing. But if you read it all in context of the millennium, it most likely is talking about the millennium. So, Alright, that was your little quiz. Let's go back to Revelation 21 now. Alright, now, I want to compare what we're looking at here. John's giving us a description of what he sees in heaven, alright, and what is prepared for us. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10. Now this is a passage of scripture that most people could quote, or at least a lot of people could at least give most of the quote, but very few people could ever find it. Alright? This is 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 11. Paul says, However, as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. Here he's talking about the fact that those of us who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ have received His Spirit. We're able to understand the things of the Spirit. He goes on uh, later on to say those without the Spirit don't understand the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to them because they're spiritually discerned. But he quotes from Isaiah chapter 64. We don't have to go back there. But he quotes from Isaiah 64 and he says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Yet John is telling us that he's seen it. How do you put those together? But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. And what else? When was Isaiah written? At, the, at, that, at that time, John hadn't seen it. But God is giving us glimpses of what it is that He has for us. Of course, it's been in the Word as well. Little pictures here and there. But I just wanted you to understand, as beautiful as this is... That John is showing us. And you're going to see it's amazingly beautiful in just a little bit. Because John is about to fall down and worship again at the feet of an angel. When John already did that earlier and the angel said, get up, don't worship me, only worship God. Well, he's so overwhelmed by what he's seeing, he falls down at the feet of another angel starts to worship that one. And, and you think if anybody knew better, it would be John. But he just can't help himself because of the amazing beauty of it. As much as John is trying to describe to us what he's seeing. I also want you to understand it's still beyond description. It's beyond description. Alright? So, there are obviously some similarities um, 
between the earth we're on now and the one to come. But John notices that things are new and different. By the way, did you know that Paul said that's how our bodies are going to be? Did you know that Paul actually said that that's how our bodies are going to be when we get into this eternal state? There are going to be some similarities, but they're going to be totally different. Let me show you what I mean. Go to 1 Corinthians. You're in chapter 2. Go to chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 55. I was talking to a pastor today about a meeting I have with him later this week. And, uh, and uh, I told him I was heading to teach this Bible study. And I told him that we've been at it for a year. He said, how in the world do you stay in Revelation for a year? I said, because we've been studying the whole Bible and the fact that most of Revelation is written about in the rest of Scripture. And here's another place. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 through 55. Paul's talking about the resurrection from the dead. Now he deals with the resurrection body. He said, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as He has determined, and to each kind of seed He gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, another, animals another kind, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars differ from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now before we go any further, boy, I tell you one thing. You just think about all the different people that you've been to their funerals and how if they died later in their life, talk about being sown in dishonor, you know. We come into this world drooling and unable to take care of ourselves when it comes to going to the bathroom and without any hair and needing someone else to feed us. And if you live long enough, you go out the same way, don't you? You know, and I talk about how our bodies are just, they're decaying, they're getting worse. And Paul said, yeah, that's natural. It's supposed to be that way. But when it goes into the ground, what comes out is going to be totally different. It's going to be glorified. It says, if there's a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, which is Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And so, and as is the man, as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. That sounds like Charles Stanley, didn't it? Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Isn't that cool? So what kind of body are you going to have? Let me tell you this much. It's going to be similar to the one you have now, but it's going to be totally different. 
It's going to be awesome. You, you won't even be able to compare it. We do know from Scripture that these people they wore clothes. They could see that they wore clothes. Uh, they had heads and crowns on their heads and these types of things. The Bible here says it will be like the body that Jesus had when He rose from the dead. We know that... I'm sorry? You'll be skinny. <laughs> you know what? I, I think you are now. So... so. <laughs> I'm so mean to Rita in this whole study. I was nice one time. There we go. Alright. There we go. But think about this. It only took me 29 weeks. Good point. Now, look at it this way though. The body that Jesus had when He rose from the dead, He was recognizable, yet at the same time His body wasn't like our body. He could pass through walls. He could disappear and show up somewhere else. Yet at the same time He could eat. People could touch Him. There's a lot of amazing things. Our body, I'll be honest with you, I can't prove this scripturally, but I wonder if we'll be able to fly. You don't know. Why not? You definitely can transport. You know? But, it, but it, it's going to be similar, yet amazingly more glorious. And that's what the new earth and the new heaven are going to be like. And we're going to see as we go back to this some more. So let's go back to Revelation 21. Now, I want you to listen, though, before we get any further. I wrote this down in my notes, and I really want you to hear what I have to say here, and I'm going to prove it to you scripturally. The focus should not be the new heaven and the new earth, or the new Jerusalem, which we're going to look at in a little bit. The focus should be that we get to be with God. Now, we would all say, oh, amen, amen. But I, I, want, you to, I want you to be still. I want you to really let this sink in. Don't, don't rush. Really let these words sink in. The focus shouldn't be on the new heaven and the new earth or the new Jerusalem. The focus should be that we get to be with God. You see, I want to ask you an honest question. If you got to go to heaven, and heaven were everything that the Scripture says that it's going to be, the beautiful creation, the no pain, no more sickness, no more death, relatives that you'll get to see again, that you recognize and get to spend eternity with. If all heaven were everything that you... Understand the Scriptures say it to be, but God weren't there. Would you want to go? Now, again, I don't want you to rush. Because I'm going to be honest with you right now. For years, my honest answer would have been, can I still go? Because I wanted to go. Because to be really honest with you, I didn't have a real understanding of the love of God for me. I understand God made me. I understood that the Scripture said that I couldn't be with Him in eternity because of my sin unless Jesus covered my sin. I, but at the same time, for many years, I've had a misconception that I was working hard to get to heaven. And one day I'm going to not have to struggle against this flesh anymore. And I'm not going to have to struggle with temptation and Satan and the world system. And folks, I'm telling you, I'm 45, I'd like to go tomorrow. I understand when Paul said, I'm not suicidal, I'm not trying to kill myself, but I would sure like to get out of the tent of this body. I'd love to be clothed with what he has for me. But I have to be honest, and if someone were to ask me that question a few years ago, I would have had to be honest and say, yeah, I'd still want to go. Because heaven wasn't for me about going to be with God. Heaven was for me about getting out of this rat race. And if some of us are honest, that's probably you too. That you think more about heaven, about are there going to be golf courses? 
you know, and all those kind of things we talk about. But how many of us really think about, and I want you to see what we, it's in a section we just read, but I want you to go back and look at it. And it, it jumped off the page at me so much, if you look at my Bible, you can see, I highlighted brightly those two sections because it just jumped off the page at me. Look at Revelation 21, verse 3. And listen again to what it said. We read it, and I don't want you to miss it. And they heard a loud voice from the throne. Who's saying this, by the way? If the throne, if the voice is coming from God, from the throne, it's God, right? It's Jesus, God the Father, whoever you want to call it, it's God. But this voice is loud. And listen to what the voice from the throne says. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And it hit me. God is saying, hey, I get to now be with them. Not They get to be with me. I get to be with them. Have you ever let it sink in that God wants to spend time with you? Have you ever thought about the fact that God wants to spend time with you? He's calling Rita right now. That's all right. If you read on in Revelation 22, John did the same thing that our natural human tendency would be. He fell down to worship, and the angel said, Do not do that. Yeah. And he said, You are to worship God. Worship God. Look at verse 7. It says, He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Folks, God loves you. Jesus Himself said, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. And then as we looked at, for those of you that heard me preach on the uh, First Baptist in the Atlantic this past Sunday, and if you didn't, I'm preaching at First Baird Island, the exact same message on the 16th of May, where Jesus rises from the dead and He says, Go tell my brothers. I want it to sink in that heaven is about being with God. Oh, the streets of gold and all that stuff's going to be wonderful and beautiful. But it's more about being with God. And here's the thing. If that's what it's really going to be, if that's what God's mindset really is, I want to challenge you to begin to develop that relationship now. I want you to really, in your time of prayer, in the time that you spend in the Word... Don't go with your, for your instructions. Don't go for your answer to prayer. Go to just let God show you He loves you. And when that happens, when I can't even put into words what I'm trying to describe, but when that happens, when God Himself tests His Spirit, testifies with your spirit that you're His child and that He loves you, when that happens, oh, by the way, you'll have your answer to your request. You'll know what it is He wants you to do. All those things fall into place. And too many of our churches nowadays, we make emphases on Bible study, or we're going to have an emphasis on prayer, or we're going to have an emphasis on evangelism. And I've asked many a church, what should be the most important emphasis? Should it be prayer? Should it be evangelism? Should it be Bible study? And the answer is that our most important emphasis should be worship. Actually, if our most important emphasis is really just worshiping God. And see, the problem is, is we've got such a mess now in our churches about that term worship. We, we, we think music when we hear worship, don't we? we got the worship and we got the preaching. No, we don't understand. There's, worship is so much more. 
Worship is everything. Worship is all that you are depending on Him. Worship is your study of the Word. Worship is your sharing of your faith. Worship is an outflow of the joy of knowing God loves me. And it doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what I do. He's made me righteous through His Son. Oh, and by the way, when you really understand worship, you won't be able to shut up about Jesus and that will be evangelism. When you really understand worship, you're going to spend so much time in the Word because there's so much there He wants to show you. And that will be Bible study. And if you really come to really understand worship, you can be talking to Him all the time, which is prayer. Evangelism, prayer, and Bible study, which become our major focuses in our church, are outflows of our personal relationship. And I want you, because I'm still learning myself, I want you to begin in the time that we have today, in the time that we have between now and when He comes to get us and we spend eternity with Him. And I think the millennium is going to give us a thousand years to learn some more, don't you? Begin to understand what it means to just revel in the joy of the beauty of the fact that God loves you. And He just wants to be with you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to John chapter 17. This is Jesus' prayer in the garden. At least what we have recorded of Jesus' prayer in the garden right before He went to the cross. We look at verses uh, 1 through 3 to start. After Jesus said this, He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. For You granted Him authority over all people that He might give eternal life to all those You have given Him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know You. Do you see it? The one, only, only true God and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. It says this, this is eternal life, which is what? That we may know God. Not that we get to go to heaven. I've grown up in church too long talking about we get to go to heaven. No, we get to go be with God. Look at what Jesus says though in verse 24 of this same chapter. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and see to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. See that? What does Jesus want? He wants us to be with Him and to see Him for who He is. That's worship. Go to Genesis chapter 15. Verse 1. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This is what God said to Abram. He said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. What is Abram's reward? Or who is Abram's reward? It's God. Folks, I don't think it's sunk in totally in my understanding. I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's totally sunk in. But reward in heaven is to just be in the presence of God. 
And you're going to see this make a whole lot more sense as we continue on back in Revelation 21. Let's take a look at what it says. Now I'm going to come back to verse 8 in a little bit, but I want to jump to chapter 21, verses 9 and following. It says, One of the seven angels, Revelation 21, verse 9, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper. By the way, that's kind of like what we call a diamond. All right, so it had the, the look of a diamond, like that of a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with the 12 angels at, at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod, and he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, which is around 1,400 miles. Um, by an English mile. There's actually a difference between Roman mile and an English mile. Uh, it would be 1,500 miles if it was a Roman mile, 14, around 1,400 miles if it were a, an English mile, which is the major, major measurement that's the standard now. But it also said it's not only 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles square, it's also as high as it is long. It's a cube, at least. Some people think that it doesn't say that it's a cube. It just says that it's as high as it is long. It could be pyramid-shaped. I don't know. God's got it. But the base of it, I've got a little map here if you want to come and look at it later on. Some of you might be able to see it from where you are. This is a square that's 1,400 miles square. It could not fit on the continental U.S. without hanging off some of the borders. You couldn't fit it on there. And then you think about the fact that it's not only this long and wide, it's that high. That's just the city. As you'll see in a little bit, that city is on this new earth. There's more than just the city. But that's just an amazing thing. He said in verse 17, he measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. Which, by the way, a man's measurement of cubit is from the elbow to the middle finger. Usually about 18 inches. So that means the walls are around 200 feet thick. By the way, engineer type people have done the math. A wall that thick can support something that high. But it doesn't matter. I'm sure things in heaven are different than on earth. I'm sure the gravity will be a little different than, than it is. So who cares? Alright. The wall was made of jasper. And the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, I'm going to keep reading. It says, John says, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, when we get into all these pictures of the different kinds of stones, I'm sure the ladies are sitting there going, ooh, ooh, guys are like, whatever, you know. I remember back when Becky and I were engaged to be married, and she said, we need to go register for China. I had no idea what she was saying. I didn't even know there was such a thing as China. I really didn't. I grew up, didn't even know there was such a thing, and then we have to go register for it. It still doesn't get me super excited, I'll be honest with you. But there are those who have done the study, and they say these are actually the pictures of colors of the rainbow. And actually when you saw Jesus and God on his throne, he was encircled by a rainbow all the way around. You know, and, and uh, that could be a picture of what that all is. There are those who want to wrestle with, okay, it says that the name of the twelve apostles were on the, the gates, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then they, a foundation, I mean. And so then uh, they, uh, who, who are the twelve apostles named? Because, you know, Judas lost his position and they replaced him with Matthias. But Paul was, you know, an apostle added later on. And you know what, it doesn't matter. But if you had to ask me to pin it down scripturally, I'm to guess that I think from Scripture that it's Matthias will be the twelve, and here's why: in in the Gospel of Mark we see that he went up early in the uh, late, I'm sorry all night to pray, came down, he designated twelve to be apostles. Judas, of course, was one of them, and then when Judas left to go where he belonged, as the Scripture says, they said in Acts chapter one from Scripture that they had to replace him and it had to be with someone who had been with them from the time of Jesus' baptism all the way until his ascension. And there were a few that met that requirement. They cast lots, and Lot fell to Matthias, and Matthias replaced Judas as, listen, one of the twelve. Therefore, even though Paul was an apostle, he never saw him. He saw himself as one of the least of the apostles, added on later at a later time. My guess would be, if you have to know, and I don't think we can know, Matthias' name will probably be, one of, be the twelfth. But then there are those who say, but you've got more than twelve tribes of Israel. Well, my guess, and I'm just throwing out a guess to you, is that most likely Levi's name will be left off because all the way through Levi was not given an inheritance in the land. Their inheritance was what? To be the priesthood and to be the servants of God. And God had a special way to take care of them. And I'm pretty sure they'll be taken care of as well. Um, but don't get caught up in all that kind of stuff, folks. Remember, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for us. And it's not about how wonderful the city is going to be and how beautiful it is. It's wonderful in a while. It's kind of neat to think about. But the real issue is what? We get to go be with God. And I'm telling you, when you get there, all of a sudden you won't be running around saying, look how beautiful this is. God will have taken over your attention. And He gets to be with you and you get to be with Him and it's Jesus' desire and you just, I'm going to tell you this much I can't understand from Scripture, there's going to be something about just being in His presence. He's given us tastes of that if you've ever understood that and spent time in prayer in that manner or, or uh, in worship. Every now and then He'll, in, on this earth, give us a glimpse of that. It doesn't last real long because if it did, we wouldn't be worth much. But He gives us a glimpse every now and then. 
of what it means to be in His presence. Yes, go ahead. Okay, so the concept of when you die, you first stand outside the gates and you look in. Um, is this... No, I'm not... I'm, where's the concept of standing outside the gates and looking in? That's not scriptural. This, this new heaven and new earth is not seen until after the millennium. Okay. What I was wondering was if, mm-hmm. if that is the concept... If, if, no. Go ahead. Um, oh, so you're talking during this, this time period, the fact that there's an outside and an inside of the city. Right. Yes. So would this, would this whole entity be coming down through the clouds? Is that yes. It appears that John saw it coming down onto the earth. Yes, that's what this is. And that's what this is. Okay. This 1,400 square mile cube, whatever. Uh, yes, that's what this is. Now, interesting, and you bring up a really good point. Take a look at what it says in verse 24. It says, the nations will walk by its light. There's going to be stuff going on outside of the city of this new Jerusalem, this holy Jerusalem that's there. And it says, uh, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Are they talking about the kings of this earth or the new earth? It has to be the kings of the new earth. So it appears that there's still going to be levels of reward or responsibility and honor for eternity. Yeah, we know that we're going to rule and reign with Him during the Millennial Kingdom, but it appears that there's actually going to be some type of work, if you will, or responsibility in heaven. I don't know how that all plays out, but it appears people are going to be coming and going from this beautiful city. Uh, If you've ever read some of C.S. Lewis's writings in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the last book of the series, he has a picture of these people making it to heaven, if you will, in this picture and description of it. And as they come to the city, it doesn't look very big from the outside, but they're glad to go in. But as soon as they enter in, it just gets getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they never find the outskirts, if you will, or the full reaches of it. And it appears heaven's not going to be boring, folks. It's not going to be boring. And Forget the clouds and the harps and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's just going to be amazing. And the golf. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, one can still dream. If Rita's going to dream about being skinny, I can dream about golf, right? There you go. That's right. I won't have time to golf? Wait a minute. i got it forever. What's that? I'll be painting your mansion. All right, dude. <laughs> go ahead. There you go. If you need it to be happy, it'll be there. But hopefully I don't need golf to be happy in heaven. But That'll show a problem with me, but you never know. What I want to do real quick is I want to take you in the time we have left to this fact that there's no need of a temple. The fact that the city, the dwelling of God is with men that we've touched on already. But I want to look at it a little bit more in the fact that don't wait till heaven to experience this. Don't wait till heaven. You can, you can start to experience it now. And I want to show you from Scripture. Go to John chapter 4. I love the fact that uh, the fact that there's no temple in this new heaven, new earth, means there isn't a place to go meet with God. He's always going to be there. Which is a neat thing. But in John 4... Jesus is talking with the woman at the well, and we're going to look at verses um, 23 and 24. 
she's wrestling with where to worship because, you know, the Samaritans believed that where they were, uh, there was a place to worship, but the Jews say it had to be in Jerusalem and all that stuff. And in Jesus' answer to her, he says in chapter 4, verse 23, he says, uh, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now look at what Jesus says there. He says, a time is coming and has now come. Now, Jesus has not fully opened the door yet for that through His death and His resurrection, yet He was there and it was about to begin. And here's a picture that this worship of God is... Not a physical thing as much as it's a, it's a spiritual thing. And go to Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. This is when Jesus is on the cross and He, and he gives His last breath. In verse 50 it says, When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, He gave up His spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. What was God signifying by ripping that veil, that curtain there between man and the Holy of Holies? No more separation between God and man. Let me show you one more place. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. The one we just read or the one we're at now? Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The veil's been torn through what Jesus has done. We can go straight into the presence of God. We have the ability to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, let's not say, boy, how cool will it be to be in heaven and be with God? Yes, it'll be cool because there won't be any more of Him disappearing. As you've heard me talk about in Luke 24, as he was walking on the road to Emmaus with those two men, he kept them from recognizing him, even though he was there. And then he opened their eyes, they saw that he was there, and then he disappeared again. And there are going to be times as he teaches us to walk by faith and to live by faith, that we're going to sense his presence, and there's going to be other times we're going, hello, hello. Yes, in heaven, there will no longer be any more hello, hello. He'll always be there, we'll always be in his presence, and we'll always recognize his presence. But it's available now. It's available now. And so, there's nothing wrong with bringing Him your request. The Bible teaches us in the Lord's Prayer where to do that. But at the same time, begin to develop a relationship where you begin to know the heart of who it is you're talking to. And you won't be afraid to go into His presence. You'll be able to boldly go into His presence and comfortably go into His presence. Talk to Him about your weaknesses. Talk to Him about your struggles. Thank Him that He's the one who didn't fall, even though you did. 
But let Him love on you. And don't leave your time with Him until He gives you a hug. You know, that's one thing as parents we try to do with our kids. Even when we used to spank them. Sad thing is they're too old for spankings now and it really bums us out. But, but uh, they, uh, uh, even after we spanked them, we'd, have to, we'd want to hold them. It was necessary. It was a part of shaping them. And we'll get to that in our study of Hebrews. But we then held them. Hugged them. Let them know, we still love you. Whenever we have an encounter with them, you'll know we hug them, we kiss them, we want them to know we love you. Your Father wants to do the same with you. So when you spend time with them in prayer, stay there for a while and let them hold you. Let them hug you. And it's, you'll begin to develop that relationship. And the time we have left, I told you we'd go back to, to chapter 21, verse 8. Because there's a scary verse here. It's been talking about how we have the, the dwelling of God is with men in chapter 21. But look at verse 8. It says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the late fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, it's very interesting. Thank God I'm going to show you a verse that's going to make us feel a lot better. But this verse by itself will, should scare you. Why? I'm not going to ask for you to publicly confess which one or ones. But uh, have you ever done any of these things? Oh, and real quickly, just in case you think you haven't, uh, Jesus said that if you have looked lustfully on a woman, you've committed adultery. Jesus said if you've had hatred toward your brother, yeah, that's murder. If you think you're okay, let the Spirit of God show you you're not. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever played with a Ouija board? Well, I was just a kid. I didn't. Hey, it says. You understand? Those people don't get to go. But I got good news, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter six. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. I love this. It says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither adulterers, sorry, the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But look at this next verse. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How do we get to go and be in this place that John says is so amazingly beautiful? Because Jesus has made it possible. He came to this earth, as we just read in Hebrews chapter 4, but He was without sin. And God punished Him, a human being, for all men. What the world doesn't understand is, everybody in the world's sin has already been forgiven. Now don't hear me wrong, not everybody's going to heaven. But Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for all sin. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
They weren't crying out for forgiveness. They weren't asking for forgiveness. I believe the Bible teaches that Jesus' death covered all mankind. They're already forgiven. But if they don't receive it, if they reject it, God did not send them to hell. They chose to go on their own. So guess what? How are we able to be in heaven since we've done some of these things on the list? Because that's what I used to be. I'm a new creation through Jesus Christ. And if God went through all that so I could be with Him, He must really like me. Satan doesn't want you to know that. Because if you really believe God's for you, you're going to be trouble for Him. Because you're going to rest in Him. You're not going to be afraid. You're not going to be anxious. You're not going to worry. You're not going to think God's going to be out to get you. And He can't manipulate you as much anymore. So I hope that through this study you come to realize the love of God. And you're going to see this next week as we wrap this up. Because as John goes to the very end, as you've been hearing even today and you'll hear next Tuesday, God continues to appeal for people to be saved all the way to the end. And the end of the book keeps saying, there's still a chance. There's still a chance. Please say yes. Please say yes. And God's calling out to people today. So as we pray and as we wrap this study up for tonight, I want you just to kind of bow your heads for a second. Does everybody in this room know that you're His? Can you say, I'm going to heaven because I've been washed? I've been justified, I've been sanctified through Jesus Christ. If there's anybody that's in this room that's been in this study that the Spirit of God has just been showing you, look, I want you to hear this. I love you. I want you to say yes. Please don't leave this room before you get that settled. And trust fully that what Jesus did covers you. Father, as we stop this time of study and thank you for what you've done, I pray that we get a glimpse and a taste of what worship really is. Worship is to trust You. Worship is to hunger for You and Your Word and to just spend time with You. Worship is to praise You at times. But, Lord, may we just understand that worship is to be satisfied in You. And one day, You, with a loud voice, are going to shout that now the dwelling of God is with men. And you get, are excited about the fact that you're going to be with us. And then we saw in Jesus in the garden, His prayer is that He wanted us to be with Him and see His glory. Oh, Father, thank You for the streets of gold and, and the heavenly Jerusalem and all these things. Thank You for that. But Lord, may we get excited about being with You. And may we begin to experience a taste of that. Only give us what we can handle. May we experience a taste of that here. And Lord, I know all the other things will fall into place. Thank you again for this chance to be a part of this study. We look forward to what you want to show us next week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.